0: hey what is up everybody welcome to episode two of season two of the clack box we are here excited to be here thanks for listening or watching however you are choosing to impart into this journey as always we are here to just discover what we think we can learn from life and see if it helps. And so um, this is actually our first episode on video. So you get to see my weird, ugly face, which is awesome. My wife is rolling her eyes right now. It's all good. So we are joined today by my good friend, Luke Sanders. And Luke is a youth pastor here in our community. And I've known Luke for about six years now. Um, When we moved back to Decatur, Luke and his wife, Britt, actually moved to Decatur from California, Um before everybody else you guys actually like moved here way before all of your other california friends and everyone else from oh yeah, california. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah i see where you're going at now yeah yeah they, they, they just followed you, you here
0: yeah and so um luke and i are you are look at you yeah you, you all you've always i want to be as cool as luke when i get older that's the truth um so do i <laughs> So the reason um, I wanted to talk to, to have Luke on here was uh, just talk about parenting. And so as I was asking for topics and asking people topics of things, I discovered that a lot of uh, things that came up was struggle with their kids, struggles with teenagers, because it's a totally different world than anybody's ever parented in before is what I believe. And then um, a lot of feedback actually I got from teachers was that they feel like parents are just lost. They don't even know. Where to start? Because a lot of these, um, a lot of things going on in the world that teenagers and students are having to deal with, and even younger kids than that are just—they're just trapped conversations. There's people just trying to manipulate them and get them to think certain ways or whatever. And I don't want to get into the political part of it at all um, in this in this conversation, but you can just see that there's just a lot that's being thrown at them. And so Luke also is very good in our friendship at at I guess I would say. Telling me when I'm wrong? <laughs> how would you say it? How would you say it?
1: I I mean, if that's how you perceive it, then that's how it's done. <laughs> I don't I don't know, man.
0: I would say your your
1: personality is that of a challenging person, so I'll take that.
0: That's good. I I think you're the you're the iron that keeps this iron sharp. I don't know. Is that all right? Okay. Yeah. So okay. So, um, give me a little bit of bio on you, right? You're, 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 you're married. Where do you live? Mm-hmm. How old are you? All that jazz.
1: Okay. Well, again, my name is Luke Sanders. Um, I am 35 about to be 36 in like a week or something. Uh, dude, I'm going to upper thirties. I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I have been married for, 12 years. Um, her name is Brittany. We're both born and raised in California. We moved out here in 2016, um, actually for the job at this church. So my wife was able to land a job before we even got here. Like, honestly, that's kind of part of our bio is the reason we ended up out here wasn't that we were looking for a new church. We were actually very happy where we were. The church I was born and raised in was where I was working at the time. Um, and God just opened a lot of doors that we couldn't ignore. And that's how we ended up here. Um, I actually made the statement when we were younger that I would never move to Texas for the obvious reasons behind my dome. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's why you're the beanie king.
1: Three time a week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For real. Um, I used to be a three time a week surfer and now I'm not that
0: three three times a decade. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Sure, sir. Sure. Um so God moved us out here and he has shown us lots and lots of different things that have helped us to be more well-rounded as Christ followers, as well as I don't know, just kind of honed in our passion for youth ministry and how we do it here. Um we don't have kids, so this parenting conversation is very odd to me because yeah, I've I don't know. <laughs>
0: Well, and I, and I think th- that's actually one of the reasons I thought it would be good to have you on to talk about this because there's a really interesting perspective that I think that you have from looking inside the house of all these homes, but never, you're not jaded by having, you know, knucklehead kids of your own or good kids of your own mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. And so there's a little bit of an innocence to your perspective on it, but there's also a little bit of like... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, just that outside looking in. It's it's I think that it's it's easier to be more direct and honest when you're on the outside looking in of something than when you're in it and you can find the reasons to not do something. Right. Like it's it's easy for me to look at like say someone else and be like, why don't they punish their kid or whatever? But then when it's my kid, I'm like like yeah they should not have done that and i do want to punish them but they're so sweet you know or whatever and then i kind of get lazy on the on the punishment or commitment of punishment or whatever so um (laughs) yeah so it's that that's that's why like i think it's 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 a good take on it and you've been doing youth ministry for what you're 35 so 34 years i mean it feels like we've been doing youth ministry collectively together (laughs) forever
1: well, yeah, I've been on staff here at this church for coming up on six years. And then I was on staff at Harvest Christian Fellowship in Southern California for close to three years. Prior to that, I was volunteering in the same ministry for 14 years before. So collectively, I mean, if you include the volunteer period, I've been in youth ministry for a while.
0: Yeah. So we we collectively have, we collectively collectively
1: <laughs> have like 50 years of experience. I don't like that. No. Think of a different way to say it. Okay. I'll say it this way. 50 years experience, bro? I'll
0: say it this way. Um, So last week on my podcast, I said that I was standing on stage at a camp and a youth pastor friend of mine elbowed me and said, you are the oldest person in the room. And that was you. We were standing at camp Copas in Denton and Denton in front of all those people. Yep. And you said, you were the oldest person in the room. I knew at that time it was bro. That's not good. That's not very really good. Dude,
1: and the worst thing about it was like, when I said that to you, I was in shock and awe because I was looking at all the other youth pastor guys. And I was like, I'm the
0: second oldest person. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm all about me and a drama queen. So let's not talk about that. Oh, no, that's true. Yeah, it's true. No, absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's get on topic here because I think it's a good topic. We, so we had two kids, 11 and 14. I, uh, we had a teenager previous to that. I it's a people would be like, what? Okay. We had custody of my sister. She's 30, ooh, 30 now, 31, 32. She's born in. She'll be 32 this year but we had her her freshman year through her senior year so we had a uh a, a teenager a high schooler before we had kids um or tate was one and and around there and so we kind of we kind of with our kids kind of had a, a redo i guess is the best way um, to talk about it but so we've kind of parented teenagers in drastically different time periods. So there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there was no social media. When we had custody of my sister, when she was in high school, um, honestly, I don't even, I, I think when she was a senior was when iPhones came out. Like it wasn't, phones were not a big issue even back then. And so we kind of have kind of parenting kids in two different decades, basically, you know, like kind of weird there. And, but so I want to ask you, I I, what are maybe two or three of the biggest challenges that you think teenagers and, and middle schoolers, and maybe even a little bit younger than that, I know middle school is kind of where your ministry stops, but kind of around there that two or three of the biggest challenges that you think, boots on the ground,
2: teenagers are dealing with?
1: Um, so because of phones and just essentially... Accessibility of information, accessibility of of other lifestyle management, just the exposure to the way that, that life is. Like when we were growing up, like we would see things on television and be like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But you never had a connection with the person on TV other than the one you created in your brain. Whereas kids nowadays because they let me rephrase, students nowadays, because they have access to personalized information on the regular, there's a lot of just straight outright comparison, Um, inadequacy, Mm. anxiety, depression, stress, all of this stuff. Like when uh, our age group, like older millennials, and even beyond that, gen xers all that different kind of stuff when we were in school you would hear anxiety and depression and be like you just don't know how to manage your life quit being a baby you know right right Right. yeah for sure especially like the gen x generation because like if you would say something like that people would be like quit crying kind of thing and i mean you see the the memes on it all the time um but nowadays like the stress and the anxiety comes from a different place It comes from the perceived inadequacy that the student has compared to Mm -hmm. every other student that portrays themselves to be something that they want to be seen as. That may not even be the real truth. Obviously, we know that as adults, but students don't fully understand that unless somebody walks with them through it. So they say, well, my friend has all these cool people that they're like connected with blah 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 the they wear the greatest clothes they they're i don't know they're a model or whatever the case may be all this different stuff whereas inside they're dealing with the same stress the same anxiety the same comparisons that every other student is and our generation is just clueless as far as like how does that feel so like we compare ourselves to other parents and stuff
0: but well, and I think, and we hopefully are a little bit more mature to figure out how to navigate that, right? Like, hopefully, um, a little God more. Wisdom. willing, yeah. Well, what's interesting is that as I've um, been doing some writing and some reading and stuff like that, I I noticed, like, man, one of the things that we talk about growing up too fast, right? They it could, it's it seems like they having pressures and anxiety too, like earlier than we did, is part of it of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So it's earlier, but it's also more and different than what we dealt with. So like to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, I noticed like kids younger now notice if they're rich or poor. I had no clue that we were dirt poor till I was like 14 years old. I had no idea. I had no idea. We never didn't have any money. Oh yeah. But kids now at like six know we're rich. You're not. Mm Mm-hmm. So is that kind of what you're, what you're, like what you're talking about, like dealing with, deal like that comparison and dealing with those things early on and more pressurized with that than what we dealt with.
1: Yeah, I think in a way, I think it all comes back down to the accessibility of information. Um, like you only knew your circle of friends when we were growing up. You went to their houses. And you didn't see the rich kid's house unless you were tight with them. Now, like, even the kids online will only portray what they want you to see. So everybody looks like they're doing great. I mean, you look at some of these Twitch streamers and stuff like that. All their setup is phenomenal. And you look at their room and it's super cool. And what they're wearing is super hit because they want to, like, whatever sponsors and all that kind of stuff whereas you don't see what's in the next room right you don't interact with their parents you don't hear from their brothers or sisters you don't know the family drama that might be behind them just all this stuff that is masked but all of the information is so readily available for you to compare yourself to
0: so do you think like consumerism kind of throws that too because everything is kind of like i can i can get what you have then Like I have to get it. I can get it. I need to get it. Like I don't know. As I'm taking us off course here, but like if I look, I don't know the
1: consumerism.
0: I'm sorry. Go on. Well, like if I watch Ninja, right? Like if I watch Ninja, I'm like, oh, dude, those blue LED lights that he has running or whatever in his thing. I'm like, oh, I can get those off Amazon for a hundred bucks, and I can have it here tomorrow, and I can try to set it up in my house. Right, so like mm-hmm. it is the comparison game, but it also is a, an obtainable comparison. Like, like I, I'm, gonna try, I'm gonna try to obtain it, and and so I, I don't know if that's an accessibility of the of the of the the comparison or or whatever, and that drive I and mean, is consumerism in a sense, but that drives the more and more and more. Like, if I saw. Like, when we were growing up, right, like cribs, MTV Cribs was huge. And so huh. yeah,. Right, so like I, I, at thirteen, I'm seeing these lavish, crazy homes and cars and setups, right? But I'm like, that's so far away. It's just cool to look at. It's cool to know that exists. But now those things aren't yeah. that that far away from trying to grab hold of. I just have to be consumed by it. And then grab it. Is that that drive the stress? You think?
2: I think it can. Um,
1: I mean, most kids have one of these, right? Right. And because of that, you can research anything you want. Like you see those, like those blue LED lights, and you're like, "Dude, Google real fast LED light setup." I mean, you can look up anything and in the split second, know how to do it, watch a YouTube video on how to execute it well. And then on top of that, see where you could buy it from in 30 different options, how much it costs, and even offering payment plans. Just, I mean, and that's within like 30 seconds of research.
2: Mm, Yeah.
1: So it's the readiness, availability of information that's so fast that causes us to expect ourselves to be like other people because we can right or to at least create this persona of what we see on social media
0: yeah it's, it's interesting this is a totally different like topic to see of how we got there and that but like again i'm gonna sound like a geezer but like trading spaces was so cool for the like in the initial design <laughs> of tv show stuff Because it was like, Mm -hmm. you can do this for $1,000 in a a weekend, right? Like it was really accessible. And now it's like almost like design shows really aren't that great anymore because everybody's house looks like it's on a show.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. It's
0: like everybody can do it. But it was kind of like this season of just consumed with like, I want to have my house look like it's in a magazine. And it used to be only yeah. like super rich or super popular, but the ease of accessibility of people able to do those things that then they want, you know, and then they can see everything they want to do really quickly. Um, okay, so let's talk about this. You talk about the stress and ease in accessibility of information in comparison. How is that? I mean, wh-
2: where's a where's a root that drives that?
0: like, as you you're saying like the ease of comparison um, and looking at, like what I call, what I call is like the, the 32nd window into somebody's life to think, you know, them, but you're actually not even friends. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, you're um, Oh, that's how you, it's like the, the um, like in uh, like in movies in the department stores and they set up the really fancy, cool window displays. It's like, that's, that's Instagram mm-hmm. or that's, that's, you know, social media or whatever is you're, you're seeing just the window display of everybody and it's not real. So, but what's interesting is I don't see a difference between someone who's 40 in that and someone who's 14.
1: Agreed. I don't really see a difference either. I think we all do it.
0: Okay. So then how do like, if, if, if if it's something that I'm consumed with too, I might Is it outside the the realm of expecting okay let me ask it this way i'm totally gonna ask a different way then as as someone who meets with families and i met with families for years you meet with families too how often do you as a family sit and do the conversation the starter with you and then you you just secretly want to go
2: there are just many yous
0: Right? Like you're, yeah, you say the
1: last part again, you were breaking up. Yeah.
0: They're just many versions of you. Like how often does that happen? So how, how do we, well, then how do we parent? So is that, is that something that we should realize as parents that we're creating carbon copies of ourselves?
1: So if we're like, so that's the end goal of this conversation is to talk about like struggles of parenting and how that impacts kids and vice versa. So, the, the reason I brought up the whole like comparison and stress and anxiety and depression and all that kind of stuff is exactly the reason that you're describing parents create in their kids, the exact attitudes that they themselves are experiencing because it's a learned behavior, which kids observe. And most parents, especially nowadays, I, well, I obviously I only have so much experience, but from my experience currently, Kids are able to learn things faster, like by watching, because that's what they do all, all day. The time. Mm. And they pick it up super fast. And kids' learning abilities at that in the lower age groups, they'll, they'll learn stuff really quickly, as we've seen with languages and other different types of art. Um, so, for a parent, especially, and again, this is my outsider's perspective, um, we don't know what the heck we're doing. As far as like how to deal with modern technology, we don't know how to change with the world as it's changing. So we just jump right in. And in a lot of cases, parents will jump right in so much so that kids will watch and be like, okay, well, that's acceptable behavior, except for they don't see parents at work when they're not using their phone and or not being a part of all this other social media. They only see them at home when they're relaxed, doing the, the, the chill for themselves, the wind down. So as students observe the wind down, which is usually centered on whatever relaxes you where you shut your brain off and just scroll. Right. Right. That's what they watch. So then they reproduce that over and over again. Except we as adults, who hopefully, I mean, depending on your the way you were raised or whatever, you have a God willing, a God perspective, looking at these things and seeing them for what they really are, and you're able to discern. I can see that this person has a different life happening in all actuality. So I know that this is not real, although it's entertaining. Whereas for a student, they see truth being thrown in their face and then thinking, I'm not cool like they are, I'm not enough. Which then brings me to my overall point that kids truly deal with is identity.
3: Mm-hmm, That's I the totally end agree.
1: all, say all, everything. It's I, just you, where does your identity come
0: from? And I could not agree with you anymore on that. I, I, identity is a big, 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 big thing that really, um, I don't know, you know how I am about this stuff. I think it's easy to be like, well, get your identity in Christ. And there it is. And there's the, you know, the generic blanket <laughs> on the fire and whatever, move on. It's not that simple. Right. So then let's, Let's talk about then identity. Yeah. When you say you think th- the overarching thing is identity, okay. Before we go into this next series of things, I want to say this: it is my opinion that um, leadership flows down from the top, right? And as much as I do, as I, I am a biblical biblicarian and a complementarian. Right. And all, and all that at the same time. I don't know how it works, but whatever. Right. It, I, the leadership, there's a leadership structure in the home. And, it, and it's going to look a little, it, there's a biblical t- uh, fr- framework for that. And there's also a depends on your home setup framework for that. Right. Single parent homes and things yeah. like that. And so, um, so everything trickles from the top down. So when we talk about, um, struggles as parents and, and, and our kids' struggles, I think we it's always gonna be a reflection of what we deal with. You're saying it's a mimic, learned, mirrored behavior on these things. I'm gonna say completely and and used to kind of like recreate what we struggle with is what they end up struggling with. I agree with that too. So it's interesting when I would have parents come and sit in the office, one of, I had like like three rules before we started talking with families. One rule was, um, I'd look at I'd look at the kid and be like, "This is a safe space. If you want to scream, if you want to yell, if you want to cuss, you're cool. It's safe." And I would look at the parents and be like, "Hey, don't shut them down from doing those things, right? Because this is a safe place." Um, and then I would. The other rule was, you can't you can't uh, shut each other down or mock each other. No name calling, making fun of each other, whatever, right? Because I don't want to tear down that vulnerable identity, like mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Um, You feel what you feel, you think what you think, Let's, this is a safe place for that. And then the other one was I would look at the parents and I'd be like, hey, just letting you know, you're coming in here thinking it's 90% your kid that needs to change, 10% you, it's probably more close to the opposite. And mm-hmm. if you're not ready to handle that, we don't need to start talking. So knowing all that, when you say identity, I'm going to say, is that something we haven't grasped as adults? And I don't want to have a long conversation on that because I want to say, how how then are we trickling down a confusing identity?
2: that's That's a great
1: question. i I don't know that I have a actual answer, obviously, um, because I'm in the same situation as any other adult. I think I, I, and I can't enforce this enough as we talk is this is all my opinion based on my understanding of scripture and what I've studied and experienced in my life. Um, But what I have seen is adults equate their identity to what they see makes them worth or makes them worthwhile or makes them worth anything. So, which then means most adults will attribute their identity to the thing they find most important in their life. That can be job, that can be family, that can be parenting, that can be any number of things. Okay. And you asked me to to write down some things in just like preparation for our conversation today. Literally, I wrote down one thing, um, which shows you how good I am at preparing. I, guess. I don't know. Um, I wrote down biblical parenting. That's all that I put. And for a sub point, is that it's timeless. There's never a time when biblical parenting is ever ineffective or uncool or not useful. And I say that because as we search for our own identity, we find it, like I mentioned in the things that we find the most valuable, that all should come down to one and one thing only, which is our lives revolve around Christ. And if our our identity comes from Christ, that's what students watch. And as we do everything else around and coming out of that, that's all that they see from us. So the observed uh, tendencies, the observed language, the observed consistency in your life comes from a perspective of my job is to glorify God. You will do that. in everything you put it towards parenting, jobs, passions, um, transparency, your willingness to be honest with your kids. Absolutely. Um, your willingness to say, I'm sorry, and yes. I messed up. I can't tell you how important that is, especially as a youth minister. Like, There's been times when I stepped over a line with a student, I didn't go to their parents and say, hey, I'm sorry for being a jerk to your kid. No, nah, dude. No, I went straight to the student. I said, hey, I'm an idiot, and I messed up. And to this day, those moments, those students, they may not remember it being as important as I do, but they don't forget it. Well,
0: okay. So you said, I'm listening to everything you say and forgetting what I thought, like little marks that I forgot to, you know, um, because I like to stay with you in the conversation. Well, I think a hiccup that we have as parents is we grasp onto responsibility and gift and calling oh yeah this is it this is it right here okay we grab onto calling and mistake it for identity let's you're gonna need to explain that more for me you could add you could add this to ministry you could add this to job you could add this to sports you could add this to reputation whatever we we confuse calling for identity. And so what I mean by that is like if God, if God blesses God blessed me with two kids, then that's my responsibility. He gave me and gifted me the responsibility and calling to be a dad. Right. But my identity is not in who I am as a dad. My identity is who I am as a son or who I am in Christ, right? And my and so if I'm a good son and I'm a good follower of my heavenly father, my dad, I'm a good, a good follower of Christ then out of the fruit that i create fruits of the spirits so and so forth will be a good parenting right Not, maybe not i'm going to say great parenting because we're all still human and and all that stuff but but that will be how what will lead me in parenting and hopefully parenting um so i think a lot of us when, when we're parents our identity gets wrapped up in who our kids are and are my kids good because honestly i'm going to be really honest it's not a humble brag like I've got some pretty good kids, man. Like my kids are pretty good, and 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 they're they're talented in their own little areas, you know, whether it be running or just personality with Ellie or you know whatever it is. And so, um, soccer, basketball, things like that. And so there is a pride that when you're like, like I'm walking down the track. Uh, at, at attract me, and everybody's saying, "Bro, your son's so awesome," or you know, "Your son's so fast," or "Your daughter did so great." This, there is a pride in that, so there is an identity in who your kids are. If your kids are little snots, you're embarrassed by that because it's knocking your identity, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, th- so, do we let too much of our identity? dictate how we parent if our identity is wrapped up in those kids that's what i mean by that like by our calling being confused with our identity
1: i can see uh, exactly where you're going with that that's a that's a solid point and i i think kind of like what i was talking about earlier we can make anything our identity and if we make anything else our identity other than Christ, then yes, absolutely. Everything will be
0: skewed. So if if we
1: make parenting our identity, that what, yeah, go ahead. If we make parenting. parenting our identity, it's like anything that you do that all of a sudden blows up, because remember your kids have their own direction in life as well. And their own calling their own identities, their own things that they idolize in this life currently, so they're not going to do everything the way that you
0: want them to do it Wait, obviously. you and mean I know it's like a my kid's going to like tell me something I don't want to hear at some point based on his choices or whatever crazy, right? oh crap, man
1: like and I know it sounds so stupid saying that out loud, but at the same time, sometimes we need to hear those things That's
0: so true because.
1: Like How many times are you just expecting? It's like, I would do it this way. Why wouldn't you, being that you're my son or daughter? Right? Yeah. So imagine if your identity is completely based on your parenting and all of a sudden your kid is like, you know what, deuces, I'm out of here. Everything is broken.
0: Mm. So that leads to a lot of fear-based parenting versus biblical parenting right and I, and I will do what's
1: best for my kid rather than what's best for the lord
0: okay i would yeah i would word it i would word it that way i would also word it this way i will do what's best for my kid not what's best for my soon-to-be
2: adult okay
0: because I, that's where, this is one of those things that Alice and I have talked about with the, the, oh, we talked about this before. Like people go into parenting without a plan. Like there's no, there's no plan. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's because, well, it's, it's, it's new and, and there's not a book, you know, there's not a, a workbook for it or a study guide for being a parenting and la, da So you kind of get overwhelmed. It's like, well, then we'll kind of figure it out as we go. Right. And then when you're figuring it out as you go you kind of don't want to ask a lot of questions either cuz that's an identity ego hit you know or whatever but one of the things that we've said is we're not raising kids we're raising adults so i don't there's an element of i don't really i want you to have a good childhood right but i'm more concerned about the 60 years that i have with you than the 18 years i have with you in my home and it's really hard when they're mm-hmm. so they're so cute or whatever and all that and, and you know, you only have them for so long or whatever. And yes, make the most of all that stuff. But I would rather have a great six with them than focus on the 18 and make sure the 18, they're super happy and comfortable and la da, 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 da because that doesn't equal a great adult. And 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 I think yeah. so we get so fearful that our our kids are going to hate us. That we how did you we, we're worried about
2: What did you, how did you word it?
0: We're worried about what we, (laughs) (laughs) you just said it. You said we're more worried about what our kids need or whatever than what, or what. Oh, oh, sorry.
1: I didn't know what you were referring to. (laughs) I'll do what's best for my kid rather than what's best for the Lord.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, well, and that even changes the conversation because in that you're kind of, you're indicating or implying that we're not even, we're not raising our own kids. We're raising God's kid.
2: That was the next direction I was going to go
1: is how much of parenting is based from a selfish perspective, because you are raising a little you first off, and then you're raising the culmination of you and your love or, and your partner.
2: And in that
1: culmination, you're seeing the best and worst parts of the two of you, but you want them to the time that you spend with them. You want to enjoy the time that they're little kids. You want to remember all the great stuff. You, you, you. There's a lot of things about parenting that's based in your experience. And again, I'm gonna reinforce this as many times as I have to, this is my opinion. I'm not telling parents how to do anything because I am not a parent and I don't know, but what? what I do know is that,
2: what? Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. You, you, you No, I was like po- pointing
0: like, yeah, you're right. You're spot on. Is
1: that, okay. <laughs> what I do know is that we are given kids as a blessing, which is very true. But in the end, their purpose and their goal is also to glorify God. So you're not raising a little you. You're not raising an adult. You're raising a Christ follower. That's the goal. That's the overall end all, say all, whatever. In the end, if your child is following God, you've done your job. Even if they make poor financial decisions, even if they go to the weird college that's the opposite of your alma mater even if they don't play the sport that you respect or agree with, or if you get a theater kid, when you were a jock, whatever, if they fear and trust in God and make that their center of life, you have accomplished your purpose in life is to create more in God's kingdom.
2: So
0: so like that, that's true. I'm not going to, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's not true, right? Like that's, Truth. That being truth, this is kind of what I'm alluding to with the plan thing. There's not much of a plan when it comes to that, right? Because we're so busy allowing other things to trump that. And so yeah. we you, you I think we parent we, we tend we have a tendency to parent the easy way out. Right. And that's where I've I've said part of our parenting plan was or is Dad Gummet, we her and I are both strong-willed enough that we'll we'll, we'll do whatever it takes like you're not going to win this home like no kid is going to win this home dad gummit throw a fist on the table right like it's just you, it's not going to happen we're stuck we're too, both her and I are so t- stupid and stubborn whatever that it's just not going to happen we're not going to have little kid CEOs running around here dictating everything that this house does right now life has a way of Doing things that you don't necessarily want to do, right? Especially as our kids get older, they're involved in so much stuff. Um, but there's a attention to be managed there. There's a balance to be managed there. So, so when you say the end goal is to raise godly kids, how do you not? How do you not land in a in a, in a situation where you're kind of brainwashing, or just propagating them to death? Ooh, That's a
1: solid question. Because then I think that comes down to the parenting plan in the way that you pursue your kids in the way that you present the gospel and the way that you do everything. And I think that's why it's really important to have a plan or at least to walk out some ideas, some
0: scenarios, that kind of thing. Um, okay. I'm going to interrupt you. I've got to interrupt you because you said something that was and really cool. Again, I'm going to interrupt you because you said something was really cool. You said, uh, pursue your kids. What did you mean by that?
1: So kids naturally in different phases will run the opposite way. I'm seeing that with a bunch of friends and like fellow pastors, other people in my life that I just having having the rough period of time, and especially teenage life. Um, The pursuit of your kids is not because they're not obviously there at home, but it's a everyday choice that I'm gonna love my son or daughter the way that Christ loves me, which is with zero expectation of love being returned. So that's a pursuit. That type of love is a constant pursuit every day.
0: Okay, because I I have- Because kids are jerks. every parent is like yeah my kid is terrible they're mean they're rude they're stinky they eat my food right like there's a who is i don't remember who it is it's like um oh i think it was jordan peterson he said don't raise kids you wouldn't like (laughs) so much wisdom in that and so he's like he's like think about it if your kid just if somebody just came into your house Threw their shoes and the crap all over the place, right? Ate your food out of your fridge without asking, didn't clean up for themselves, right? And all this stuff. He said, You would hate them. They would never be your friend. He said, So why do we let our kids do that? It's a
1: solid point, dude. Shoot. <laughs> for the what? sake of making them comfortable, they need to be comfortable and enjoy uh, their childhood.
0: Oh, no. I, I, okay, don't get me started. You the know. They thing. don't need yeah, to enjoy no. their childhood. Well, no, they need to they need to be able to have a childhood.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: But childhood is about training, right? And so, like, if you're training, you you enjoy training, you enjoy practice, you enjoy that. And there's shenanigans and practice, and there's laughter, but there's also a lot of hard work and uncomfortableness because you don't grow without uncomfortableness. So, if I try to make my kid comfortable all the time, they're never going to grow, right? So, like, if my if my kid has heartache kind of okay with it, right? I can't protect him from heartache. So if he's got, he or she has to go through some heartache, some some rejection. Like my son is just really, both of our kids, but we're doing this with our son because he's getting older. He's just excelled. Grades, good. Sports, good. One act, good. FFA, good. Like it's just such so kind of naturally come to him. Well, he had a situation where like, Schooling was like, "Oh, I gotta learn in school now. I'm not just gonna know okay, well, that was a hard thing
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, he had a little bit of rejection, not a big deal, just a little bit of rejection lately. I'm kinda like really okay with this, I'm really okay with this, and I'm not gonna freak out and try to soften it or whatever. I'm just gonna let him live out the little bit of kind of rejection he went through, and he'll be fine, you know um so i i I just the comfortable thing, right, like i um I'll, I'll tell you this story. So when we lived in Idaho, Tate was in first grade. And he was first or second grade. I don't, might have been second grade. He was, yeah, it was second grade. He was, uh, well, his teacher, his classroom teacher, told him to go to the to the office and turn this piece of paper in and then turn it and come right back. So he did that. He, little Tate's walk, little pale, little skinny self is walking down the hallway. He gets close to the principal's house. The assistant principal comes out and she just laces into him like yelling at him. Why are you out of the classroom? But like she went over than what she should have. And he just started crying. He was all upset because he was like, he's so black and white. He was like, I'm doing what one teacher told me to do. And now my other authority figure is screaming at me for doing that, right? He was totally lost. So we could have mama bared it, right? We could have, you know, daddy bared it and got up all in that teacher's biz and the principal's biz and all that stuff. But this is what we did. We said, okay, dude, did that. Cross a line for you. Like did it cross some set of line that made you feel angry or upset or frustrated or hurt. And he said yes. And we said, okay, well then you need to go talk to that person. And he just was like, I don't want to do that. And we said, No, if it crossed a line mm-hmm. with you, you have to go talk to her. And he was like, Well, why don't you talk to her? No, it, it didn't cross my line, it crossed your line. So you have to go deal with it. And sure enough, he walked his skinny little buns to the assistant principal and he said, he asked if he could talk to her. She said, yes. He said, yesterday I was doing, when you yelled at me, I was doing what my teacher told me to do. And then you got onto me and that hurt my feelings and it made me angry and I don't think it was fair. And I think you should apologize to me. And that assistant principal was super humbled and apologized and everything was good, right? And and so I think we have to let our kids like like, not like throw them in the deep end, but stay there ready to get them if they're drowning, you know? And so mm-hmm. I'm just not a big fan of the comfortableness thing all the time. Like, it's good to like, mm-hmm. you got to learn to fight your own battles because I need that kid to function. When I, when that kid gets out of my house, I want him to be out of my house. I don't want him coming back. Mm-hmm. I want to be an empty nester, you know, before I'm 90, like, like you got to be able to live your own as an adult. Right now, I'm going to support you, but I'm not. What's the new term? We talked about this a while back. The bulldozer parent. Is that what it was? Oh yeah,
1: I, it was something along those lines. Yeah, where like you have these, these that doesn't just hover; they're like just blow through everything.
0: Yeah, where it was like the the we had like sophomores that we knew where their parents were emailing or calling the professor about their grades or papers or whatever. It's like no, 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 no. You need to be able to do that on your own. You know, so. Yep. Okay, where were we going before the comfortable thing? I totally.
1: We were talking about identity.
2: And oh no, no, I we was so, talking about how can
0: you, we were talking about the plan because I said I asked you how. Yeah, you... yeah,
2: we had mentioned the plan.
0: So, 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 what's some things that you that you like? You sit down with the family and because um, Alice and I kind of had our staple things that we would like. Obviously, we're not counselors, so we're not going through like, oh, and we're not going to meet for weeks, and they're not paying us lots of money to do that. So, um, so like, what's what if if you're formulating a plan, what does that look like? Where do you even start with a plan? Do you like, have, as
1: far as parenting in general, or
0: yeah, like, do you have like some generic philosophies that you think are are good to start? Right, because if we have people listening, they're already parenting, and so it's like we've already kind of have a setup. And so um, is there a like some, some things you can apply to a setup that helps start to develop a plan? I got a piece of like dirt in my eye real quick. <laughs> you make it. Yeah, I'll make it. My eye is kicking in. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> um, so as far as like, and again, I'm coming from the perspective that, I'm I'm just a youth pastor, <laughs> but I, I don't know the best way to make a plan. I've seen lots of great ways to do it. I've seen lots of terrible ways to do it. Um, but in the end, I think the most important thing is to discuss between you and your partner, or if you're a single parent, to like really lay out what the most important things for you to be a part of in your child's life are and then how to address those specific issues when they come up. Uh, one of the big ones is the sex talk. That's a huge, like, Oh my gosh. And I've learned, I I don't answer the question of when you should have the sex talk because everybody views it so differently. Mm. And my opinion is not that of a lot of parents. That's okay. Um, but you, as a parent need, to come to terms with the fact that it is gonna happen, it needs to happen, and it needs to be you. So however that looks, start laying it out in your brain, write it down, I don't know. Um, Or if obviously, if you're a single parent, that's the way you do it. If you're um, in a nuclear family or whatever the case may be, or you have a partner, talk to them about how you're gonna do it together. What are the issues you wanna hit on? Like lay those things out, like work through those scenarios so that you're not super surprised because you're going to be surprised with some of the stuff, but at least you don't have to be like completely blindsided. Uh, I would say the same for college. I would say the same for um, like just big moments in life. You know, when kids go from elementary to middle school, when kids go from middle school to high school, Mm -hmm. kids graduate, all those big steps. When kids get a car, when they get their driver's license, how do you talk through relation? or I mean, talk through uh, uh, responsibility? How do you right. talk through, don't let your gas tank go to nothing, right? It, like just the little things that you know about as an adult, that it's natural, it's not natural to them.
0: So, okay, so let, me, let me ask you this, because in this this plan making, right? And and like we're we're kind of the forerunners for them. We've lived it, so we need to help them formulate a plan because we we can know what we did well and what we didn't do well, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. As we're forming this plan, I think one of the things that I've seen parents get caught up in is is we still land in that world of we don't want our kids to hate us, right? We feel like they have to like us. So I, I'm going to ask you a, a very short. And a short, a question that doesn't need a long answer, right? Um, our kids are going to hate us, it.
1: it's going to be long.
0: Yeah, our kids are going to hate us at some point, no matter what, right? Hmm. So we just kind of need to get over that. Absolutely. So, or I mean,
1: just th- comfortable knowing you're not always the hero.
0: Oh. Okay, now that's hard for me. that that that's hard for me i know that's kind of why i said it you jerk well yeah because because there's an element like i want to be the dad that like is trusted or has sage advice or is wise or whatever and but and you know this I, i've so we talk about a plan i strategically pick my friends knowing that that My kid isn't, I'm not going to be the hero, even though I want to be, I totally want to be, but I'm not going to be the hero. And so who are my kids going to go talk to? Like, like my part of our plan was our friend subset who is around my kid do i have the 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 guy that's around my son that makes the inappropriate jokes even though i don't that has a terrible tongue or a very big disdain for authority authority so he's always making fun of cops or politics or whatever and he's just rude and disrespectful to it no matter if he agrees with it or not like is that the who's around my kid or is the guy that like i know is helping me in our goal and our plan to raise a godly kid so even if the friends subset of who who is around them, it may not be us, but it's who's around them that's a part of that too, right? Okay, so yeah. So what about other parts of the plan? Because we're talking about middle school teenage years, essentially with between you and I here. Um, because a lot of the a lot of the things have kind of dug in at this point when they're 12 years old. there's some things that are already set if they're going to be really good at cleaning the room or not good at cleaning the room. Like you've already set the tone for that. Um, Or if that expectation is there, right? Like if you've never allowed that made them clean the room and all of a sudden they're 12 or 15 and you throw down that expectation, good luck. That's a bigger hill to climb because you didn't set that expectation from the get-go. So for Allison and I, one of the things, and I want to see your take on this. And we talked about a plan. One of the things that we talk about for us is the culture of our home because we earlier I talked about leadership and everything flows from the top. I don't understand. Like it took me a while to understand that I needed to lead in the parenting way. And that Allison and I need to lead in the parenting way. Like we were leading an organization, vision statement, mission statement, plan culture with my employees or kids, what, what we want it to be like around the office, what, they, what we want it to be like to work with us. And so, so for our plan, like to boil a plan down, is to think about the culture. So we've what we do is we have three words for that culture. One is safety. Um, we want to be a, we want to be safe for the, for our kids. We want our home, their rooms, um, aesthetically. Like we we spend a little bit of money to like let them decide what their rooms look like. That way, it's a safe space that they've created for themselves. Um, we same thing with our home. Um, we want to be predictable right? Of course, now we say predictable, but we're the ones that like have moved all the time, but, uh, <laughs> um, predictable and then laughter. So we're constantly trying to do things, whether it be game night, whether it be, um, the movies we pick to watch together for movie night, whether it be the projects we do outside. And honestly, part of that point is the attitude and as a dad, I have to check myself. If we're going to go do a project or something, I have to go, okay, part of our culture is laughter and lightheartedness. I got to check my attitude and mood before we go do this thing together. So is when you say plan, is that the kind of stuff you're you're referring to is things like that? If not, what is it? Or can you expound on what you see? You said you've seen plans work and plans not work. What What are you talking about there?
1: Well, I think to answer your first part of the question, I think, yeah, that is absolutely one of the many aspects to a plan is to plan culture around how you're going to build your household and at least how you feel called to build your household. Um, The other aspect of planning that I I would add to that is every household is different. Mm -hmm. Every household expectation is different and none of them are wrong. They're just different. Mm -hmm. Um, They can be executed poorly, but I, I, I have a belief inside me. I don't know if this is real or not, but I believe that if God gives a child to a person, there is an innate love that comes with it. And their goal is out of love, even if it's a selfish or a weird or whatever. That's why you see weird stuff come out of parenting too. But that's what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is that the goal in setting those household um, plans is out of a loving place, which is why I say none of them are wrong, but they can be sinful. So now moving from that, I've seen lots of great ones, lots of, eh, you know, whatever. I mean, it's mostly about the execution. So I can't say that one plan is greater than another, but what I can say is your conviction and your consistency will make or break your plan.
0: Oh, that's so good, dude. Your conviction and consistency will make or break your plan. Okay, well then, okay, what is, I don't know, be careful not to be incriminating towards anybody, but what is, what's an idea that you've seen that was just terrible?
2: Just like, no.
1: Well, I, I won't be incriminating on this, but um, every parent knows somebody like this. The parent that wants to be the friend. Never works. It works for a little bit, but eventually you have to make the hard choices. Eventually you have to be the bad guy. That's why you're the parent and not the friend. Um. My role as a youth pastor is to come alongside what parents are already doing and to enhance what they are doing biblically. So my role in those settings when parents are trying to be friends is they're removing my need to even be there. Um, You were alluding to an idea earlier when you were uh, just talking about the need to have other people in your kids' lives. It takes a village. That's not built on some random saying from nowhere. Back in Hebrew times, back in the old biblical times, it literally took the entire civilization that they lived in, their their town, to raise those kids. And everyone was involved in some way, shape, or form. It takes a village to raise a kid. It's not just your insight that makes or breaks their world. They need insight from other people. So for parents to say, I want to be their friend, we want to have a great relationship. There's nothing wrong with having a great relationship that needs to be built on respect as you are a parent and they are a child. Then people like me can come in and be the friend that says, you know, you're making some dumb choices. I mean, just saying, man, I'm here. I'm your homie. I'm going to be honest with you. And they have space to be honest back and be like, well, I don't care. And I can say, well, all right, fair enough. Do your thing. And then the parents come in and you guys can enact the tough love portion where you instill some rules, you remove some privileges, whatever the case may be, to bring them back on the plan without being that uh, that weird relationship of, oh, I still want to be your friend. I'm sorry. I have to take your phone away for a day. It's not helpful. So did did I say that well enough without being incriminating?
0: Yeah, because one of the things that I've seen in struggling homes is that parents seem to think that, or a theme in in some of the struggling dynamics is that parents seem to think that parenting is not going to cost them anything. And so it's like, yeah, taking your phone away or taking their phone away or tablet away or no screens or whatever means you're going to have to play with them. You're going to have to go outside and play catch with them, or you're going to have to draw with them, or you're going to have to play stinking, uh, go fish, which is the silliest game ever. Like you're going to have, yes, you're going to have to get off the TV too and hang out with them. Right. It's going to cost you something or like, um, well, we already paid for that. So I can't take it away from them. No, you can. You can take it away. You from absolutely that. can. And you absolutely need to. And I don't care that it costs you something, right? Like, like it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what's so interesting is like, but if, okay, you already paid for that, right? You already paid for some lessons or whatever it was you can't take it away. Okay. But how much would you pay for them to learn that lesson? Oh, a lot of money
1: or, Oh, yeah. Or on the other side, when you have already paid for something, they can still attend and you can be with them Mm. and they can still attend and not participate. There's lots of ways for you to get the bang for your buck while they are still feeling the repercussions for their actions.
0: Do you think a lot of, do you think a lot of parents, like even our parents, maybe a little bit or some, some, some some people like their, their 20s and 30s are so afraid of their of their of taking blame too, like their kids hating them and having to take blame for their kids not having a good life because that's well I think a
1: lot of it comes from the psychoanalysis state of life is where we say parents did this and so my kid is now blaming whatever all of these other actions that come afterward and granted I'm not a psychologist I know lots of psychologists or lots of therapists that are phenomenal and they do phenomenal work and it's incredibly important. But because there's the access to information, we self-diagnose, we make up things. And then all of a sudden parents are to blame for anything and everything that ever happens in a kid's life without there actually being repercussions for their own actions.
0: Yes. I totally agree. You said that way better than I could ever say that. Uh, That's that. Yes. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Thank you for saying that better than I could. Absolutely. So what's, what's, is there like a a theme that you've seen where it's like, it's a good, a good plan?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, there's just the way that you guys parent your kids. I love watching how y'all hang out with your kids. I mean, there's a level of transparency that is incredibly important as a parent while you're still protecting your kid from learning things that they don't have to learn early, you know, Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you showing the humanity of a parent, like our age group, there was a level of like expectation that your parent was almost like the God of your household, right? It's like, say no evil, hear no evil, do no evil in front of thine parents, or else thine wrath cometh upon them. <laughs> right. I don't know, you know, whatever, <laughs> but like, I will kill you. <laughs> that was all off the top of my head. Do you like that? Um, so, like we would see that kind of parenting, and dude, like my dad could do no wrong, not because he was not a human, because now, as an older like adult, i man, I know my dad did a bunch of stuff wrong, but you know what? he was a phenomenal dad it, it, i It's just the idea of realizing that they're just human beings that now have a kid
0: well and i i we had this in conversation. With Tate the other day, and and I hate to be referring back to my kids, but that's kind of my experience, and I'm trying to come out from a a parent standpoint versus a youth pastor standpoint on some of this. But um, I I'm trying to make sure I have again I'm trying to raise a young man, right? Like I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to raise a teenager. He'll be a teenager. (laughs) He he is a teenager. I don't got to raise one. I'm trying to raise a young man. So I I realized the other day because that was the other thing you talked about a, a biblical plan. When you're the leader of something and it all starts with you and trickles down, a biblical plan starts by being spirit led, no doubt. And so we have to have a huge reliance as, a, as parents on the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us to be spirit led and, and, and all these little things, because there's things that you're going to think and you're like, you're going to get done with a conversation that was at the drop of a hat and there's probably nothing more attractive to your spouse than you having great wisdom at the drop of a hat and you walking back at her going dang where'd that come from like i don't know it's the holy spirit and she's like you're super wise like right that's godly attraction it's so good but something the other day with with tape where i was like hmm i'm kind of alpha alpha e and opinionated and strong-willed my steamroll in him at times. And so I went to him and I, I I said, Hey man, it was was when we were moving is when it happened. And I was realized like, I was kind of, I was super aggravated because no matter, even though if you have a helpful teenager, when you're moving, that teenager is never helpful enough. (laughs) Right. Like, (laughs) You should never have a break. Yeah. Like if that teenager stops and looks at their phone for five <clears> seconds, you th- and you walk into the room, you think they've been on their f- on their phone for five hours, and you're doing all this stuff, right? Like so, it's, you just react that mm-hmm. way. And there were a couple times where I just kind of I walk in and I'm like, I'm doing all these projects, and Mom's doing all this, we're doing all this to move, and, all this, and you're playing video games. And I walked in, and I'm like, you don't need to be on that all day. I was just kind of like, you know, giving him the the whole thing. And like the day later, I walk in doing the same thing. And I'm like, dude, didn't I just tell you yesterday you're not gonna play video games all day? There's stuff to do. Da, 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 da. And he kind of looked at me. He's like, and I'm like, I realized like, oh, he's probably been on there for like 30 seconds. And he's been doing all this other stuff. And so um, so I went into his room later and I said, Hey, uh, hey, I'm sorry. First of all, I realize you probably just hopped on there. And you deserve to be on there. You're a kid. I'm like, I have nothing wrong with you playing video games. And I, but then I said, Can can we talk? He said, yeah. And I said, here's the deal. I'm, I'm, I listed the list of attributes that I have about being strong willed and alpha male and all that stuff. And and I said, but here's the deal. I don't want to steamroll you. So if I walk into a room and I, and I make an assumption that I'm wrong about like that I did, don't look at me
2: and just bow say, dad,
0: I don't, I said, don't be rude and defensive, but just tell me the truth. So dad, I just got on. I've only been playing for two minutes. I said, then it's my choice to like deescalate, calm down and and listen to you, which I should do and not be selfish and rude or whatever. I said, but I want you to wrestle with me. If I'm wrong, our relationship needs you to fight me on some level. Mm -hmm. Our relationship needs you to wrestle with me, to alpha alpha me a little bit, to tell me when I'm wrong because you're becoming more of a man now with your own opinions, the way you view the world, and what's going on. And so we talked about that, and so I, I emphasize a lot. I need you to fight with me. That's how our relationship is going to survive and us be close in the long haul. Mm-hmm. And he and he looked so confused. <laughs> and i and so he, I, I said what's the confusion he said well first of all he said if i if i start to fight back you need to not shoot me down right away and i said yeah you're absolutely right i need to not just keep shooting you down i said but if i do you need to keep fighting harder and we'll work it out and he said well here's here's the other problem i said what is that and he said My whole life i've just been told to just do what i'm told to do
2: and so i was like oh crap we have a
0: very obedient kid that is just so used to being like hey go take out the trash and he's like okay right because he's just obedient and he's black and white and so if i let him stay in that what is he like at 19. Is, is he a leader? Is he a follower? Is he, does he succumb to peer pressure or does he stand up for himself? You know, and does he, does his inner dialogue believe his own view and opinion of the way things are like that? Cause that was actually my bigger concern was that if he's like, if I walked in and he only been playing for five minutes and I'm like, I can't believe you're on here all day. Well, I'm not speaking the truth. The truth was he just been on there, but the, but as he shut down his own inner dialogue just because dad, like you were saying, your dad can do no wrong. He's the king of the castle. What what do you do if dad even is wrong? And so I, I think that that you're right about like the, we as parents need to kind of like tone ourselves down a little bit. Like, how do we stay? So there's this, this weird balance of staying the authority figure without um, being a tyrant. And so Um, so let's talk this. So I'm going to leave that at that, but I want your opinion on this plan for dating. Give me your thoughts on, and I'm going to stay on headset, but I've got to open the door for the dogs, but what is your thought on, uh, like a plan for dating?
1: See, and I—I I feel like you're setting me up for failure right here, only because your kids get into that age. <laughs> so whatever, dude. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, so I do a um, relationship series once a year because I think it's necessary once a year. Oh, easily um, once a year, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for real, Valentine's. Uh, yeah, it's yeah beginning of February. <laughs> Everybody, yep. Yeah, and my goal in the past. Be, and this is, shows my uh, depravity as a human being. My goal in the past was to cause kids to break up. That was the goal. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And I thought it was hilarious when it happened. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I win. Um, it's, but okay. the, uh, how much immaturity does that show, right? <laughs> but, but you as a youth pastor, like
0: putting your youth pastor hat on, you know where I'm coming from. We, um, oh, it was like, no, I went through stages of like, I was so proud that no one in our youth group was dating. Like, I
3: was
1: like oh yeah. Like.
0: <laughs> so like coming to, coming to light
1: of that truth, the last couple of years, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do the, the whatever thing, blah, 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 Talk about relationships. And I wasn't putting such a heavy emphasis on, don't be in relationships, kids. Or whatever. Um and this year, I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and reminded me that, first of all, it's not my job to control what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Second of all, they're going to do what they want, especially for parents. And this is the hard one, but the true one. You may say no dating. They still will. I'm sorry. But it's true. And I can't tell you how many times kids will come to youth and they'll be like, oh, my girlfriend this, my girlfriend that. And then their parents are around and they're like, I don't have a girlfriend.
2: I'm like, okay, whatever. Um,
1: so as far as the plan for dating, I think the only way that you can do this in a in a helpful manner is to hold on to truth with a loose grip. Hold on to truth with a loose grip. Okay. You know what's right. You know, high schoolers and middle schoolers cannot date well. And you know, it's only going to hurt them in the future. Right. And more than likely, it's only going to put them in more sinful possibilities than they would have if they weren't. Right. And the truth of the matter is with pornography, the way that it is. 99 point whatever percent of boys are looking at it and then close to that if girls are as well so the reality is what we're protecting them from they already are aware of in most cases which is why i say what i say about the sex talk and how important it is to do it early and from you um, and from you thank you for reiterating that uh but the thing that you're trying to protect them from is dividing their heart amongst many people over a lifetime. That's always the goal, right? Aside from all of the other like things that could happen down the line with divorce and kids and the, all the crazy that goes on. So what you can do is lay it out factually from the beginning. Tell your kids what you expect, what their expectations are, and why, as far as this is why I don't want you to date instead of saying, you're not allowed to date if you give them a reason they will understand i promise you they'll understand they may not like it but they'll understand it um and then on top of that setting up expectations for a mate or a person to pursue them or them to pursue that are as high as they should be um yeah, i tell girls all the time go what? ahead
2: yeah you tell girls. go ahead finish this that thought
1: sorry i tell girls all the time If he isn't meeting certain things, if he's not, um, and I make him like super unimportant, but at the same time, they kind of set standards. If the guy isn't willing to open your door or at least try, you know, probably not worth it this early. If he's not trying to pay for a meal for you, probably not worth it. If he can't pay for your meal because he doesn't have a job, probably not worth it. If he can't pick you up in his vehicle, Come on, right? Okay, so they're basic and stupid ideas, but at the same time, it sets a standard that more than likely a guy is not going to be able to date your daughter until he's 17 or 18.
0: Yeah, I, I, one of the things I read a long time ago, actually, I think my mom, my mom might have read, like, read it and said it to me and then had me read this book. I don't remember. Um, but she, it was that year, uh, the way he treats his mom and his sister is the way he will treat his wife and his daughter. And so, like you're talking about those many expectations. Like, mm-hmm. is he is he like to you on the phone? Is he disrespectful to his mom? Like, is he slamming his mom behind her back to you? You know what I mean? That's not a funny joke. He's being disrespectful to his mom, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that like those many expectations that you're talking about that kind of set the tone for greater expectations that's kind of what we say around. Like I've, I've thrown that out at Tate. Like, like, Hey, remember how you treat mom and Ellie is how you treat, you'll know, treat your wife and your daughter. Like that's how it, so I want you to treat mom and Ellie. Like they're your, you know, perspective mom or wife or, or daughter or, or, or yeah, wife or daughter. Um, and then you said, I think it also comes back to that plan thing, right? Like, do you have a, like, planned conversations about it. Because one of the things that I started early on, because Tate Tate started early on uh, having a crush on a girl. He was like four and four or five. And he walked up to that girl's dad and asked that girl's dad if he could have permission to marry his daughter, who was three. Yeah. He's a, he's a talented young man. Anyways, they don't even know each other anymore. It was just one of those little 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 kid crush things and he like totally he's not really wasted effort yeah he's totally (laughs) not into into like the like the dating scene or um like totally not interested in any of that but when he has like kind of spoke like spoken about a girl that he may whatever And i did this in student ministry all the time like if if some guy was kind of like you could tell the relationships right like you know that like I, I, it's hard to ex- describe this to a non-youth pastor about like how you just sit and observe everything, right? Like it's weird, but you, so you could tell. And so yeah, I would walk up, I would placate the whole thing and not the, not the relationship, but to the, to the guy, like I would walk up and be like, Hey, I see, uh, you've really been sitting by this one girl a lot lately. <laughs> and yeah. And, oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I, I, I really like her. Okay. What do you like about her? And for she's me hot. Yeah, she's hot. hot. Uh, what does that even mean? Okay. Uh, like 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 if you touch her, you melt. Like I don't know. Um, it's like her down that road, dude. Yeah. So <laughs> but so like for me it was like like why? Like what about her? Not why, because that means I have to like justify it, but like what what about her? And if you get like these super shallow answers, it was like, no, 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 you don't like her. Go go discover more about her and then tell me that why you like her. You, like you, you can't say you like something if you haven't discovered about it. And so I always kind of put like these like further things down the line for, for students and even our kids to say like, if, if you're going to like something or you're going to like someone, you got to come, come, if you want me to respect you and that you say you like or you love or whatever, then come make a compelling, mature argument or case for that. If you want me to respect it. Like, I know that sounds really harsh. But like, um, uh, in one experience I had, I had a kid and it was like, well, why do you like her? And he was like, she seems like the most normal person on the face of the planet. They're so comfortable in their own skin. And they're not all up in the popularity game or whatever. And like, this was like a 13 year old and my mind was blown. I'm like, okay, that's a completely different answer than she's pretty, you know, or whatever. And so um, is that kind of what you're talking about a little bit of the expectation thing and kind of land some adult stuff out there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the way that I've, um, pursued it
0: in the past, when I do my little teachings and whatnot
1: is I lay out what the biblical goal for a relationship is at its most biological form, as well as relational and spiritual. So I talk about dude, number one relationships are built for procreation that's the whole original purpose as laid out in Genesis two, I think. Yeah. Um, And then after that, I talk about uh, the other goal is because man's not good alone. God knows that we are like relational dummies without help. (laughs) So he gave us the gift of a wife. And on top of that, Like, so that answers the, oh, I just like being around somebody. They're fun to be with. Yeah, because that's the way God made it. It's awesome. Right. Um, And then lastly is the biblical perspective of why to have marriage, which is a biblical picture or a, a lifestyle picture of how Christ loves the church. And that's the goal in marriage is to glorify God, not yourself in your relationship. So if you're glorifying the Lord with your relationship, then you're showing a true form of love. That is unconditional, meaning you die every day to do what they need rather than what you need. So, laying out those expectations for a God centered biblical relationship means that sex is beautiful and sex is built and sex is perfect in its context. Mm -hmm. It's great to want to be with another person because God made you that way. And lastly, your job is to glorify God through this other person. No one else, God. So by laying out these expectations early, then they know, dude, when I get in a relationship, it's a it's a big deal. In which case, man, they're gonna do what they're gonna do. You can't guide them every second of their lives. They're gonna make choices. They're gonna make poor choices and good choices. But hopefully by laying out your expectations and why they, that you have them from a biblical standpoint, not just because I say so, will help them in their choices to make the ones that lead towards a, a like a, a glorification of the Lord rather than themselves or for the sake of sex.
0: Well, And hopefully, now, hopefully a healthy, healthy relationships, right? Like, absolutely. like, like, so, so even in the context of like, if you, if you like, so, so we don't have a no, no dating rule. Like we don't have a, a no dating rule. Well, what we say is if you choose that we are involved.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And and those are those small expectations that don't mean as much as like biblical truth, but are super important. Right. Be-
0: yeah. Because it, like... You have to keep a connection to your kid, no matter what they're going through, right? Like that's how we talk about being, being safe because the moment they, the moment they turn off, the moment they stop talking to you doesn't mean, oh, they're acting better or they're making better decisions. You and I talk about this all the time. Don't <laughs> yeah. confuse peace with progress, right? Like peace with progress. Mm-hmm. In, if you confuse peace with progress in a relationship, that relationship is about to break um, mm-hmm. because maybe your kid just realized that if I can just give the illusion of peace, right? Then they think that I'm a good kid now and they won't even question anything. Um, because typically with parents, we're reactionary. We go to the squeaky wheel. We don't ask about grades till they have a bad grade. We don't, you know, we don't ask about whatever till they have a bad attitude or, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. So um, that's that whole confused piece with progress thing. And and that's where the moment your kid, I think the moment our kids stop talking to us is the moment we need to, we need to look at, like, that's kind of the beep, beep, because mm-hmm. we should have a dialogue and so when we say there's no we don't have a no dating but we want to be involved it's like walk us through okay yeah. you like this person walk us through that walk us through why walk us through what that looks like what are you going to do about it right cuz like if we mm-hmm. we've asked one of our kids who said that and I'm like well, what are you going to do about it well nothing oh, okay great
1: yeah right? i had a student um in my ministry that was like <laughs> And this is what I love about like what you were talking about, where we just watch everything. They're <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I think I like this girl. And I'm like, oh, I know. And they're like, how do you know? I know everything. Oh
0: my I, <laughs> love, I, I love, I love, I love, that, that, that like as a youth pastor, we just know things. Like that that I don't even know how we know things, but the fact we that just they, do the fact that they know that we know everything freaks them out. Right. Like even I, I still get to play that. Um, because with, with Allison working at the middle school and me spending so much time up there and hanging out stuff, I'll look up to a kid and be like, Hey, you remember when you fake asked that girl out to embarrass her? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, when you fake ask that girl out and totally set up this whole ruse just to embarrass her. I'm like, bro, that's not you. And that's not godly. And the kid was like, how did you even know? And I'm like, yeah, melting. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, bro. Like, come on. Like, is that you? Do you need to apologize to her, you know, or whatever? Mm -hmm. And then, um, so yeah, it's one of the, one of the ways that we've set up the dating thing, the, the kind of blue blueprint for us. And I, um, is, um, why, how, who, and it's, it's okay. Well, why? Like, like, so don't ask the why or how, when all of a sudden you find out your kid likes somebody, right? And we talked about yeah. this is what you were alluding to with the plan, make the plan before you get to that situation. So you don't have to be reactionary. And so the, 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 why, how, who yeah. is if you want to date, why do you, cause, cause here's the other hard part about being a pastor. We can make a biblical argument, right? For sexual immorality all day long. How do we make a biblical, biblical argument against
2: dating?
3: Uh,
0: yeah, you, you, there is none. And right. that's exactly
1: what I talked to the kids about in February. God
0: it, doesn't say don't date. Right. And so as a parent, it just like, says, don't be sexually immoral. Right. So as a parent, how do you, how do you make that argument? Like, but you can't make a biblical argument for biblical parenting against dating. So, so yeah. this is what, what I came up with was, um, uh, uh why, how, then who, and then yet they have to be in that order. So why do you want to date? I'm not going to answer the questions for you, but if, if there's an unhealthy answer to that question, you never move on to the second of how. Mm-hmm. So if your if your question of why is because I'm lonely, because I need to be fulfilled, because I like compliments or I need confidence or any of these things, if, if your why is an unhealthy answer, you don't move on to how. If they are healthy and you move on to how, the how has to be healthy. How are you going to date? Well, it's only going to be in groups. Um, You're going to be there. If it's not in a group, you and mom are going to be there every time, right? Like, 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 hey, can I? Can we invite so and so out to dinner with us? Yes, like that's okay. We're never going to be alone and all that stuff. Then we start talking about who or how. If you get healthy, then that structure gets set up, and the how is healthy. Then you move over to the who, and the who, their why, and how should line up with yours. And if they don't, you shouldn't date that person. But a lot of times they get, they get the who first and try to force feed the why and force feed the how. And that's when unhealthiness and unbalanced starts to happen. And so, so that's just kind of what, what, what we came up with um, for for that sort of structure for, for our kids. I I came with it like two years ago, two or three years ago in student ministry of trying to figure out how to preach it in that conversation. Um, But it seems to work well in our home so far in that. Um, and so, but that leads to another conversation of like, on the plan before, right? So have you ever seen parents come up like a, with a disciplinary plan beforehand?
2: Explain what you mean.
0: Okay, so like, um, like a plan of like, kind of like a contract like what it takes to live in our home and or like okay, if you lie you're grounded. oh, for
1: oh you're talking a general yeah life. because
0: because one of the oh, things okay, i see. yeah, because one of the things that we're talking about right is this like it seems like structure plan authority um d- discipline can you said consistency and conviction but, uh, but what's hard for i think I think what's hard for parents is that is a super relational hit, right like if i'm. If I'm super consistent and super convicted, it feels like I'm, I'm relationally betraying my kid because I'm being so hard on them or whatever. Right. Like it's, it's hard to have that balance. So if we can get some of that stuff off the relational, like a lot of the weight of like discipline being off the relational side of it into being more of the structure side. Like I I've, 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 I've seen the idea of like giving the kid, like If if the punishment is already in place, then they're having to make a choice between, not between offending you or betraying you as the parent, which we take disobedience as, but it's between do I lie or I get grounded for a week? And they have to then make that choice because that's kind of the way the world world works, right? Like the real world isn't, you don't, you don't. Mm steal at work and then go, okay, well, we're going to spend 24 hours to think about your punishment. Like, it's like, you steal, you get fired. You know, it's like, it's pretty cut and dry. You speed, you get a ticket, whatever. Um, if you get caught Luke. So, uh, (laughs) so have you ever seen anything like that? Where like, it's healthy to set up kind of the, the structure of, of choice consequence beforehand, age appropriate choice consequence, like if your two year old lies, you're not going to ground them to their room for a week, you know, whatever. But this, this that way it's not relational because I do see, I think I see healthiness in, I hear, let me rephrase this. I see some unhealthiness with the idea of a parent being angry also being offended because their kid disobeyed or did something they didn't agree with. And then sending the kid to the room and saying, we're gonna think about your punishment and then waiting until they figure out what the, the punishment can be because the kid takes that as relational. The kid takes it as you're angry with me, you're mad at me and you're going to punish me based on how mad you are at me, not based on the thing that I did, right? Or a balance of equal, Punishment fits the crime. So I asked that all. It's a super long-winded question to ask that. Like, I think it's healthy for us to to get some of the relational stuff off of the punishment and structure so you can come alongside your kid and be like, bro, I want to go see Spider-Man, but you're grounded. I'm just as disappointed as you are. And you're kind of on the same side of that punishment as your kid is. Not because, like, I'm going to say this to you. One of the things that we've tried to say, like in the culture of our home, we want our kids to be able to bounce back really quickly. And I think it's one of the benefits of being a youth pastor. That kid could be in trouble, but they're allowed to bounce back with you, right? Mm-hmm. So, I I hated as a kid going like not wanting to leave my room after I just got in trouble. Cause I thought my parents were like, going to have a smart comment about it? Going to still look at me in a little bit of a venomous way. It was going to be uncomfortable to go out of my room. So I kind of peek out the door. Is it safe to go out and get a drink or go to the bathroom? Right? Like we want our kids, like we tell them when it's over, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, now this is over. And we allow them to bounce back. And then we think, I think that helps get the relational part out of it. So have you seen any or read anything or ever had experience with like kind of in, in the plan getting the structure set up beforehand so you can get the relational punishment or relational consequence part of it out of it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So just to like condense, is it more effective for parents to plan out punishment method ahead of time before the event takes place so that the students slash kids understand what happens before it happens. Yes. That's what I'm asking. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I feel like that's a resounding yes in any situation because I mean, the more, and we talked about this earlier. The more you set things up ahead of time and you lay out your expectations, kids know what's coming and it doesn't break a relationship, as you mentioned, when the thing that they know is going to happen actually happens. Um, on top of that, it also by making a punishment structure because kids know what's going to happen, they are less likely to do the stupid thing right? Mm -hmm. You're helping them by saying, Hey, if you do this, you're going to jail. So don't do it. Okay. Like that kind of thing. Obviously you're not going to send your kid to jail, you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) but I, I think the only thing I would add to your question or not question your statement is, um, the freedom and ability for parents to reconvene over modernizing punishment structure and you you alluded to that with dependent on the age, which is incredibly important because a lot of parents don't realize that uh that definitive moment in a student or kid's life when a like a, a solid beating or a, a spanking rather um, is yeah sorry, beating's not a good word for that. That's the way my dad said it back in the day <laughs> anyway um, a spanking becomes more uh, m- becomes more problematic than helpful relationally you know I mean? difficult all the above because yeah. like you can uh, you hit a 13 year old you spank a 13 year old they're going to laugh at you and that's going to make you mad which is going to make them, you hit them harder because you're like oh I'm... right yeah so there's once you realize there's the difference in that structured timing you need to change it accordingly because like I mentioned, you try to hit that 13 year old and it changes to weird
0: real fast. Well, and so it's You got to
1: realize that it's different now.
0: It's just age appropriateness. Like we talk about age appropriate truth, yeah. right? Like you, like on the sex talk, you tell the truth that they're asking at five, you don't tell the whole thing, but you also don't not tell the truth. You tell the truth it's age, age appropriate. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I also think that what we have to be careful of as parents is not to prepare to parent behind how old they are. And I think,
1: yes. Parent in front.
0: Yes. Parent in front. Yes. Parent in front is super important. Even with the, like what you're saying, the punishment type thing. If you go spanking your 16 year old, that's super like ineffective, like the discipline. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so (laughs) I had a leader that locked their two year old in their in their room on top of the night because they didn't want, yeah, because they didn't want tacos. They're like, two year old. Yeah, it's This was a long time ago. It's <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. They didn't want tacos. So, like, the kid didn't get to eat. And so, I think they were telling us about this two year old that was just kicking the door going, I do
1: want tacos
0: now. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, it was so
1: funny see and as we mentioned before the readiness of information kids can call cps on you real fast
0: oh my gosh i can't even imagine how That's so another
1: thing to keep in mind <laughs> i'm gonna hit my kid because they did something no that that 17 year old can call and be like my dad's hitting me." all of a sudden it changes really weird really fast yeah, it gets
0: yeah it gets complicated super complicated yeah, yeah. well and that's like um a couple of other funny things not f- funny not funny like funny to us youth pastors because we hear them all the time but like uh we, i sat down uh, a couple and they were just distraught about their, their daughter getting bullied and she's getting bullied through group text messages, getting bullied through social media and all this stuff and Mm -hmm. sad story. I mean, super sad. She's getting super bullied and I'm like, okay, well, you know, like, like let's get her off social media. And they were like, what about the group text? I was like, well, let's maybe she she just shouldn't have a phone. And they were like, but, but she's going to hate us. We can't let her not have a phone. And I was kind of like, okay, well, then that's fine. The girl was nine, and so I'm like, you're giving, oh, you're abdicating so much control and leadership to that nine year old. Like, stop that, right? Yep. But parents get stuck in that those ways, and so yeah, I, I I'm still doing a little bit of reading on this because I've I've seen. And I'm going to talk to someone. A, like to help us with like younger kids. Cause you're not talking about older kids and the, and in that transition of stuff. Like, I think when kids are like, like one year old to like like at, at one they, they you're um, like it's behavioral correction, right? Don't touch that. It's hot. Don't touch it. It's hot. Right. And you slap the hand or whatever. But then when they're 18, it's full choice consequence. Here's the choice. Here's the consequence. Right. And it like it starts the transition at one to that from behavioral correction to choice consequence. But what happens is as it starts to shift and as they get older, it shifts to more of a percentage towards choice consequence. Then what happens is that we just parent behind that curve. And so it like as a youth pastor, like, give me your thought on this. Isn't it hilarious when we watch a parent try to change the behavioral uh, behavior of like a 16 year old. Yep. Which is very consistent. <laughs> I mean, Consistently. Honestly, it's kind of depressingly six- What? Consistently inconsistent.
1: Well, I, I mean like consistent, like so many, so many parents have the same problem. Like, and I'm not saying mm. that I wouldn't if I wasn't, a, if I was a parent, but it's just, because here's my assessment assessment of the situation is because you want the best for them and they're not making the right choices you will forcibly put them into what you think is the best for them okay removing them from the consequence to save them the, the the pain and the suffering whereas you're just dwarfing their ability
0: to become an adult and i saw this this quote Um, two days ago, it said so often children are punished for being human. Children are not allowed to have grumpy moods, bad days, disrespectful tones, or bad attitudes. Yet we adults have them all the time. None of us are perfect and we cannot stop holding our children to a higher standard of perfection than we can obtain ourselves. And I, and I, I thought that that was really healthy because a lot of times we just, Hey, stop, Hey, stop, stop doing that. Hey, don't do that. Don't act that way. Don't look at me like that instead of like, Okay. Like we tell, yeah. we tell our kids, like, you can be mad. I'm totally cool with you'd be mad, but we got to deal with it. Right? Like, yeah. Hey, I, I, under, I understand that you were like this way with mom, but like, you need, don't, you need to go talk to her. Why were you short with her? Why were you that way? And talk it out. I think, I think it's not that we, they, they shouldn't have those things. It's like, what do we teach them to do with them once they have them? Yeah. Right, which a lot of us um and that this is why I say this all the time. Like everybody's like, Oh, you you know, when people used to say, like, are you ever gonna be a senior pastor? And I would say, no, because adults are just junior hires and bigger bodies with bigger problems. And it's because no one's like tried to help us, like how to yeah. deal with these things. It's just kind of be a robot, like kind of like what, what Tate was saying, like, I'm just told to do this, so I do it, you know. Um yeah. and so I think we can parent behind not parent ahead like what what you're saying because we it is really awkward when i see parents try to correct the behavior of a of a 15 year old or six it's already it's set it's set in if they're gonna have a bad attitude they're gonna have a bad attitude you ain't doing nothing to change that yep at all and all it does is cause even bigger friction there um so let me look at my notes here because i have notes i
2: closed it so i gotta reopen it um
0: well as we close this like what do you what do you think is like the is there like one or two tangible things that parents could take away like to start doing tomorrow right like what can we start doing tomorrow to just help in kind of if we're trying to turn a corner Um, you know, I have a couple that I'd love to hear from you too on this.
2: No, I thought you were
1: going to say, no, sorry. No, go Um, ahead. I was like, did you just pause? Did it freeze? Um, so my two, (laughs) my two takeaways, and this is what I tell every parent ever, always, um, in parenting teenagers, ask questions and listen. Do more listening than talking, and ask questions. Most of the conversations that you have with your kids is going to be a lot of nonsense, in your opinion. Who cares, man? The thing to remember is that when you were their age, you went through the same thing, Mm -hmm. and it was just as big to you as it is to them now. So, in those conversations, it's very easy to we'll we'll compare it to a husband and a wife. A lot of times, when there's issues husband wants to come in, fix the problem, get it done, get out, right? Right. That usually causes more problems than simply listening. So, in the same way with a teenager, whatever they're going through at the time, most of the time they just want to be heard and treated like a human being, not a kid. Um, so my encouragement to parents is and always will be when you're having a conversation, let it be a conversation not a monologue. So when they're telling you something, ask questions. Just keep asking more questions. Why do you feel that way? What brought you to that conclusion? How did that go? Are you going to continue that? Just lots of questions that make them extrapolate more on what it is that they're talking about. Because eventually, your questioning could bring them to their own answer. Instead of you just telling them how to do it.
3: Mm.
1: So when I say ask questions and listen, um, listening is just as important as asking those questions, because the minute you ask a question and you already start thinking about the next question you're going to ask before they tell you the answer, they know that they can see it in your eyes. They can see when you glaze over and you start thinking about your own things. Kids are so much more perceptive than we give them the credit for. So when you listen, listen intently and purposefully as
0: though you yourself being heard. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. Cause that, that, that actually tends to one of, one of mine is you said it earlier about pursuing them. And I didn't say this then, but one of the things that I've kind of just recently started trying to be a part of the lens that I parent through is, um, discover, right? Like, like I, I, I spend, I think it's trying to discover who God created my kid to be. And like, so when we do our, we do, um, kid date days where it's like the day, the day I I'll go out with Ellie or I'll go out with Tate and i also go out with the other kid or whatever. And so, um, when I go out with, when I go out with them, like I have a plan when I go out with, with that kid and, and, or actually now I've, I've tried to start implementing this where it's like with Ellie, I'm like, I'm going to just sit there and spend time trying to discover who she is. Mm. Right. And I'm like, and just go and ask questions just just to discover who they are, which is part of that listening thing, which, so, so for me, one of the, the big takeaways is like, it is brain power. It is energy power. It's all that, but you are given that gift and responsibility to, um, Discover who your kids are. I just, I just think we were right, or, or not. Not just, Sorry, I worded that wrong. To, to build a relationship, like we instantly think we have a relationship with that that human as soon as it's put into our hands, and it's like, no, you don't. You have to build that relationship, and they're they're drastically changing every what year? I mean, drastically changing or every, more. Yeah, I mean, and they're changing. They're changing. Um, what worldview? Everything's changing about them, yeah, very quickly. And so, how are we building a relationship with them yeah. in the same way you would build a relationship with an employee or a team or your spouse? Which is what you're talking about: listening, discovering who they are. Sometimes you got to let them come to their own truth. Don't be the deliverer of truth at all the time. I did that you with myself. Help sister. them find it. Yes, I, I, that was the biggest mistake I made when we had my sister custody of her. She lived with us was that I felt like I was trying to cram 18 years into four years, first of all, and then thought like I could lecture and talk her into good behavior and good choices. And it was like, and so I was just constantly trying to deliver truth to her. And it was like, you know, it never worked. She, she turned me off way early on into every conversation. Um. And the other the other one is I said, I just I think I think being safe, being safe for our kids to share and talk. Like, man, every one of us is gonna come home and our kids gonna come home and tell us something we don't wanna hear. I wrecked the car, I don't want to go to church anymore. You know, I got in a fight at school, I don't believe in your religion, you know, I, I'm I'm making different sexual choices, whatever it is. And it's like God is safe for us to tell him those things, and he we're supposed to mimic his parenting. Are we safe for our kids? Um, doesn't want to agree with them, but are we safe for them to share that and us navigate conflict or disagreement in a healthy way? And so, um, hey, as we wrap up, dude, thank you so much. I appreciate it. you're, I love listening to you talk about stuff. Um, I just, you're always pointing, you're always pointing us or people that you talk to to, towards God and trying to do it to life and everything we do in life in a godly way and glorify God. And I love that. I love that about you. Um, When I'm needing advice, it drives me nuts. (laughs) I, I hate it. Um, But thank you so much. I appreciate it. And so uh, this obviously leave comments and questions always on uh, any platform that you listen to or watch on. I'd appreciate it. And um, we are going to have a follow up on this, not you and I, but the the podcast talking about um, younger kids because um we think we have it figured out there too and we don't a lot of it's just it's, it's a struggle it's super hard and so uh dude i look forward to talking to you again on here and just hanging out with yeah. you later on and i appreciate it so hey, see you later real yeah, quick
1: yeah um let me add something maybe you can stitch it in earlier if you want to edit it if you want or whatever I don't know. um you the the main thing you mentioned in the beginning of this was parents feel lost yes especially with teenagers. So my encouragement is ask them to help you. Huh? Let your kid tell you the things that they're struggling with. So you can help
0: them through it.
1: Yeah. It goes along with listening,
0: but you no, know, it's good because um, I, I really think that like we don't apply it. Like you'll have a, you'll have a, a guy who's a great like corporate leader and a terrible parent and it's like no just do what you do in the corporate world yeah like you, yeah like you just do that. yeah and so one of the one of the, the best boss i ever had the best boss i ever had by far uh worked at compass and he every day maybe not every day but it felt like every day he would come to me and go okay, today, how can I help you be good at your job? What can I do to help you be good at your job? And I don't think we ask our kids enough and listen, like you said, go, hey, how can I help you succeed today? Not, can I take you to another practice or anything like that? Because they may not need that. It's like, truthfully, what can I do to help you today? And it's that we're modeling that servant leadership right there too. Um, So I think it's it's like, yes, ask ask them what they need. That's a really good point. We'll add that back in later. That's good. I like that. Um, Anyways, dude, thank you so much for for being on here. Appreciate it. And we will talk to you later on the Clackbox. Thanks. Absolutely.
3: Later. Later, dude.